0: Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Well, taking a look at the war in Ukraine, military expert and retired Colonel Jeff McCausland will join us and provide his analysis of Russians' military strategy. Housing prices continue to be on the rise in Hamilton. They top $1 million for the average price. Lou Piriano, president of the Realtors Association of Hamilton, Burlington, will talk about that. And organized crime has infiltrated online dating with what is called pig butchering. I've got an explanation for that too. It's all coming up in the Bill Kelly podcast, and it starts now today on the Bill Kelly Show on nine hundred CHML. Ukraine is a country in agony. Uh, there is no two ways about it. Uh, the people streaming out of the country, if they can get out, others who are trapped in basements right now because of the shelling that's going on in their communities, and uh, and questions about exactly what's going to be happening next. Uh, Joining us to talk about this and uh, and try to assess what is happening, uh, pleased to welcome to the program Dr. Jeff McCausland, who is a retired colonel in the U.S. Army and a military expert for CBS News Radio. Uh, Colonel, a pleasure to have you on the program. Thank you so much for the time today.
1: Bill, it's good to be with you.
0: Let me ask you right off the bat, I guess an awful lot of the experts that we've seen over the last couple of days are, are questioning the strategy that the Russians are using right now. Uh, Vladimir Putin yesterday during his conference and Zeus conference said uh, everything is going according to plan. Others, uh, I guess, rather skeptically are saying, do they even have a plan? What, what's your assessment on what you've seen so far?
1: Well, what we've seen so far is Putin made two assumptions at the onset of this war, both of which proved untrue. Assumption number one was that the, Ukraine, the uh, Russian military would be able to move easily into Ukraine. The Ukrainian military would collapse, as they did in 2014. This would be over in a couple of days. There would be an international flurry, but things would settle down. Obviously, that has proven to be totally untrue, and the Russian military is not nearly as capable as we thought, and the Ru- Ukrainian military is far more capable than anybody imagined. The second assumption was that NATO would split, NATO would shatter, And this would undermine NATO cohesion, which is one of his ultimate goals as well. That is proven untrue as well. By my count, up to 12 European countries are now providing direct military aid to Ukraine. All of the European countries and really countries around the world have come together in terms of economic sanctions against Mr. Putin. And I'd say right now, NATO is more cohesive and stronger today than it was a month ago by far. And then beyond that, of course, the Russian military moves on three sort of principal military doctrinal points. Surprise, speed, and mass. Well, they failed to achieve surprise. We could monitor them with commercial satellites as they assembled their forces. They failed to achieve speed. They're not moving. They're bogged down. So now they're moving to mass, unfortunately, which means more agony, as you well described, Bill, for the Ukrainian people, which means more artillery, more rockets, more missiles, close air attacks, and the movement from hitting really military targets more indiscriminate attacks using cluster bombs, thermobaric weapons against civilian infrastructure, as well as trying to hit the population to destroy not only the Ukrainian military, but frankly, try to break the will of the Ukrainian people. And they've done this before. These were tactics they pursued in Chechnya back in the 1990s, as well as in Syria.
0: But how could they be so off with their intelligence on this, so, Colonel? That's the thing that I think boggles the imagination. I, I'm old enough to remember 1968 when the Russians moved into Czechoslovakia uh, because they thought that country was becoming too liberal and too democratic. Uh, but it happened almost overnight, and there was very little resistance. Uh, did, were they expecting the same thing now? Did they not understand that the Ukrainians have been trained by NATO forces and, and that it wasn't going to be a cakewalk? They just seemed totally unprepared.
1: They do. They do. They seem totally unprepared. And I think they're finding that their troops are not reacting in the fashion that they expected. Don't forget about 30 percent of the Russian force is conscripts. We have these startling stories of soldiers surrendering, units surrendering, soldiers busting holes in their gas tanks so they don't have to move forward, compounding, of course, the already unbelievable logistic problem that the Russians are having in terms of moving this mass force and keeping it keeping it sustained for the offensive.
0: Uh, The population and and the the attitude here and the targets, I guess, seem to have shifted in the last week, especially, Colonel. I mean, in, in the first day or so, we could see, okay, there seems to be a plan here. They're going after military targets, installations of this nature, which I guess is usually step one in a process like this. Uh, they seem to have just turned now, as you said, almost carpet missile attacks here. They, they, they don't care about the civilian population. As a matter of fact, I, as you said, they want to intimidate the civilian population. Uh, I would assume the end goal because of that is to try to just uh, get them to the point where they they plead with their own government to surrender and give up. Uh, it seems to be having the opposite effect, though.
1: It absolutely does. I mean, we're seeing that old uh, adage by Napoleon Bonaparte perhaps two centuries ago that the moral is to the physical is three is to one. And Ukrainian resistance is startling. If there was one thing you could do to bring the Ukrainian people together, enhance cohesion and expand nationalism, Vladimir Putin now has done it. And I can't imagine what win looks like for him, because while he might have sufficient forces, let's be honest, to eventually physically defeat the Ukrainian army, he does not have enough forces to occupy Ukraine. This is a country of over 40 million people. It is the size of Texas. We're talking an occupation force that I would say low side 300,000, high side 500,000, just to control that particular country in the aftermath of this brutal, unnecessary war by Mr. Putin.
0: And even if, uh, I don't want to draw a chess game analogy to this, but even if they should take the capital, I know they started shelling Kiev already, uh, that's not the end of the game here, is it? I mean, we've seen reports, and I know you have, Colonel, uh, you've got civilians who are coming back into the country you know sending their their their, their the, the women and children away and coming back in taking up arms they they they're watching youtube videos to learn how to use these weapons how to make molotov cocktails and and things of this nature they, there's no surrender in these people i mean they just keep coming in i don't think anybody even the nato forces anticipated that the civilian population would rise up like this
1: no it has been startling and there are reports that something like 16,000 foreigners, according to the Ukrainians, have volunteered now to come to Ukraine and fight for Ukraine. This is sort of like, if you look at it historically, that maybe the Abraham Lincoln Brigade, which fought in the Spanish Civil War against the mm-hmm. fascists and was an international unit. I think there were many Canadians, quite frankly, in the Abraham Lincoln Brigade, uh, this occurring. And this is something I think the Russians were totally unprepared for. And it's obviously dispiriting to Russian soldiers. You know, the, the Ukrainian ambassador to the UN read a text from a a cell phone that was captured when a Russian soldier was killed. And the last text message he sent was to his mother. And in that text message, he said, Mama, they told us that they would welcome us, but they're throwing their bodies in front of our tanks and under the wheels of our armored vehicles. They're calling us fascists, Mama. This is so hard. And that's just the comment of one Russian soldier, which kind of sums up the Russian attitude and surprise. Many of these soldiers are now reporting when captured. They don't know where they are. They didn't know they were in a war. They thought they were on a training exercise. They're poorly poorly led, poorly motivated, poorly disciplined, haven't been fed. You know, the Russian army is violating some of the basic norms of good soldiering that any force on any continent uh, knows.
0: Uh, and, and stories now that one of the reasons the convoy got bogged down is because they all have flat tires I mean if they haven't done maintenance on their equipment it's it's right. a, a a fascinating story, a horrific story uh changing by the minute uh, which is why it's so important to, to be able to to get perspectives of, of uh, experts like yourself, Colonel. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today. I really appreciate it. My pleasure take care. That's uh, retired Colonel uh, Jeff McCosland, who is, of course, a military expert with CBS News Radio.
2: You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: Let's talk about the real estate market here in the Hamilton area, uh, Hamilton Burlington area. Uh, it's crazy, red hot housing market. Saw uh, the average price of a home in Hamilton's 1.1 million dollars in February. What is going on? Uh, to try to make some sense of all this, uh, we're glad to welcome back to the program Lou Piriano, Lou's the president of the uh, Realtor Association uh, of Hamilton Burlington, uh, Luke. Great to talk with you again. I hope you're doing well these days.
3: Hey, we're doing just great, and it's been a long time since uh, you and I in 2017 uh, BC. That's before COVID. Uh, <laughs> did a did a, uh, uh, a stint in, at the RBG. If you recall, Kathleen Wynne was premier. She yeah. was in attendance at the meeting, and you were broadcasting live. So seems like a million years ago.
0: Well, it does, and look what's happened. I mean, to the housing market. Uh, And you you look at what's going on with these days, and you know what, Lou, every time I talk to one of your members, they say, you know what, it's got to burst. It can't stay up like this. Uh, It's not bursting yet. Uh, You know, we talked about supply and demand, and you've talked to us in the past about how many different factors are involved in this. Uh, But give me your read on what you're seeing from these numbers.
3: Well, I just wonder if those same people that are making that prediction now made the prediction that we're in at the moment. So I'm not sure how reliable uh, anybody's predictions are these days. Uh, particularly government uh, uh, predictions like uh, CMHC. Uh, They've uh, proven to be uh, consistently wrong. Uh, If you recall at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, the uh, CEO and others uh, at CMHC said prices were going to plummet 20%. In fact, they went up 20%. And so that's a 40% margin of error. Uh, So I think you've got to be very careful with, uh, with predictions in general but the general consensus uh, in my experience uh, july 10th heading into my 50th year in this business uh, has been that there is an inverse relationship between interest rates and prices so when uh, prices are up uh, interest rates are low and vice versa and right now as everybody knows we are heading into an up uh, situation with interest rates
0: so what do you see that doing to the market then using your theory yeah, well, it,
3: it, it's got to at least slow things down if the government does what they said they're going to do. They bumped at a quarter point And uh, last night, they're uh, watching the Bank of Canada uh, saying that they will not be afraid to pull the trigger on a half-point increase, increase if they feel it's necessary. So if by the end of the year, you're up, let's say, 1% and you have a $700,000 mortgage, which is not high these days, uh, that would be an extra over $600 a month in interest. Uh, you can't. Uh, I don't think reasonably expect that that won't have a, an impact on on what people do and what they can do.
0: What about supply? Let's talk about that end of it. Are there are there houses out there? If I if I, I wanted to buy a house right now, am I, is there going to be a, a not just properties and not just you know one or two places, but am I going to have a, a choice here?
3: Yeah, I, I think uh, we looked at it and said there was uh, recently like a, you know a hundred uh, listings under uh, uh, six hundred thousand. Uh, something like that so they do exist uh and when i say properties that would be a you know either single family or apartments uh, and that sort of thing so uh they exist and you know that but that doesn't mean there's not a lot of competition and that 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 there's enough of
0: them which is so so to go back to that old supply and demand situation Then there may be some (laughs) supply what's the demand like who's buying these days do you know
3: well, you know, everybody needs shelter. Uh, there's there was pent up demand. Uh, there's people, uh, uh, young know, young professionals and others living in their parents' basements. Uh, the the demand is definitely there. Uh, we're looking at increased immigration, as everyone knows. We possibly even have a refugee situation uh, coming up here, where uh, there's going to be demand from that. So, all in all, you know the. Ontario government just came up with a great uh, housing report with lots of good recommendations but no timelines you know no meat on the bones as to when we're going to get this done so everybody recognizes the problem and I would encourage people to uh, talk to their uh, uh, representatives in government um, there's lots of things that can be done that they're not doing it the first one would be the stress test that was a disaster from the first it has robbed hundreds of millions I'm oh, sorry it has robbed Uh, probably millions of young buyers billions of dollars of equity because they couldn't afford five years ago to meet that stress test. And for your listeners who may not be uh, familiar uh, at the time if uh, the interest rate that you could get a mortgage was two and a half, they wanted you to qualify between four and a half and five percent depending on what the Bank of Canada rate was. So you have to prove that you can afford way more than what you're actually having to pay. Some people couldn't meet that criteria. They weren't able to buy. And guess what happened in those five years? If they couldn't buy then, they certainly can't buy now.
0: So did is that what caused the the exodus? I mean, we had so many people. It, it seemed to start at the GTA. I think you and I talked about that back in 2017. Uh, and, you know, oh, my, it's, it's going to spread to Hamilton or Burlington. Next thing you know, well, it's... It's spread just about everywhere right now to the point where I, I know families that are saying, to heck with this, we're moving out west or, or out east, whatever. Calgary's got a, a, a more affordable housing market than we do in this area now.
3: Well, they absolutely do. But, you know, I'm, I'm sure that that will uh, probably fill in, as it were, uh, with the price of oil being what it is. Um, you know, that I, I've over the years seen it come and go. Uh, out west, move back to Ontario, move back to out west. However, I am seeing an exodus, as you said, to the east coast, and which has put tremendous pressure on pricing out there. I had one client who uh, bought out the East coast and said that the lawyer warned them that there may be a three week delay in closing just because there's not enough lawyers to close this transactions
0: just it's a craziness that that's happening these days but let's get back to this idea of, of what affordability and and as you say there's a tie with interest rates and that makes all kinds of sense i guess and it comes down to affordability but for those people that don't meet that thresholds lou where do they go is it, is it the bank of mom and dad because people are still buying
3: well the bank of mom and dad i think is running dry too you know they, they need <laughs> yeah. their own money to uh to, to uh, service themselves in uh, long term care homes and so on. I think there are a couple of you know to, to put a, a brighter light on it. there are some things people can do to help themselves. Uh, some creativity for example, you know looking for property with income potential, even if it's only one room to rent uh, or a garage, some anything that helps out. Uh, consider smaller properties and then move up. I think we are we have been used to sort of starting at the top when we purchase a, a home. Um, One of the newer things in the last few years is consider buying as a group. So there is at least one website in Toronto that's been around a long time showing folks how to buy cooperatively and what the benefits and the risks are. Uh, For example, a duplex, a couple downstairs uh, making $80,000 a year and a couple upstairs making the same amount of money, uh, pool their uh, down payment together. And uh, they together with $160,000 should qualify for a, a pretty healthy sized uh, loan. Um, so, you know, that kind of stuff, a little bit of creative thinking can can help. Uh, it's not for everybody. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of ways a deal like that could go sideways when you have a disagreement. But hey, if you're serious about doing it, then uh, talk to one of our, our professionals who will guide you through it
0: we're kind of delving into some of the recommendations from that uh, provincial <coughs> panel and I'm glad you brought that up because uh, I agree I mean I, we talked to Tim hudak of course uh, from the Ontario Realtors and uh, just after that came out and Tim was on the panel uh, and some of these things they, as you said Lou they, they make sense uh, I, I was disappointed too that there was no timelines on these situations but you know when you look at things like as you say they, they started talking about uh, zoning problems of uh, building new houses uh triplexes uh, and things of this nature you know in other words families to use your phrase kind of partnering together to get in on a property or something like that uh the concern that i i'm, I'm having initially when i saw some of these these recommendations though uh and i'm sure they're all with the best of intentions is is are those is the recommendations are they going to suit the people that are out there looking right now i mean an awful lot of the families i've talked to. Uh, whose kids are, or the maybe even themselves are still in the market, they want a single family house. They don't want to live in a triplex. They don't want to live uh, in a high rise. They want a backyard. They want you know the 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 whole nine yards here, if you could use the phrase. And uh, I don't know that we have enough of mark in the market right now to accommodate that.
3: So as I said, expectations are much greater than they were in the fifties and sixties when people had to have a whole lot more money down to buy a property and they saved and it and it was tough. Uh, people think uh, perhaps it's always been easy. It has not. Um so, you know, it, relatively speaking, it's still easy. I mean, uh, I can remember there was a guy by the name of Paul Hanover years and years ago on your show. He came and did oh, a yeah. oh, speech. Yeah. Came and did a little speech for us and he says, you know, Canada is the only place in the world uh, where you can put 5% down, get a cash rebate and call yourself a homeowner. And <laughs> and he, he's absolutely right. I mean, You know, this is a lot of other people's money and a little bit of your money uh, to give you that push into the market. But uh, let's get back to what can be done. Supply is the issue. Uh, What I tried to give was a few little tips that maybe would help people right now. Long-term, we have our, uh, you know, our staff recommended expanding the urban boundary. Builders want to build, buyers want to buy. What's the problem? The problem is you cannot build anything outside of the, defined area right now. And city staff recommended go ahead. It appears we don't have the political will to make things uh, as they should be in order to uh, accommodate people. Um, Also, so what what are we spending our time on at city? Well, uh, they they were looking at a vacant home tax. Um, They identified uh, 1177 properties in Hamilton that they could tax if people wouldn't put them on the market at a cost of $2.5 million to set up the program and hiring 17 staff. Now they got this 1177 by looking at BC and extrapolating a number uh, that that would be the same here. And as you may note, you can tax these folks, but it doesn't guarantee that one single rental property would become on on the market and it's a drop in the bucket. So let's, let's get away from this silliness and get onto reality, which would be to get that urban boundary extended nobody wants to chew up all our good farmland but there are places outside of the urban boundary that are quite buildable and are never going to be farms
0: well and I made that point because uh, I, I, I'm in agreement with you I still think that it's going to have to be a hybrid here uh, which is what city staff were recommending <laughs> and I'm glad you reminded our listeners about that, that they didn't say don't do this they, they, once council made the decision they said okay we'll write a report that's our job uh, but they don't see that the kind of growth that is going to be projected for here is actually going to be able to accommodate. And it's not just that there isn't space. I mean, I know the, the you know, the counselors that, that said no, they no extension. Uh, well, we got lots of empty spaces. What? Well, not everybody wants to live in the north end of the city. Not everybody wants to, to live in, a, in, a, in an alleyway house and, and things of this nature. Like I say, you, you have to understand the market, which is why folks like you and, and the folks in your industry have to be listened to in a situation like that and by the way this is this debate's not over i know council's made a decision on this but ultimately it has to go through uh, the municipal affairs minister who's already said he disagrees with the hamilton decision so I, i'm not lobbying one way or another here i'm just saying we'll see what happens uh because the, i think there is the going to have to be
3: yeah sorry by the way bill the federal government is also considering a vacant home tax you know uh, I, I tried to point out to uh, the committee uh, on this vacant tax thing that there, there is no protection under our charter for property rights. So everybody at every level has to take care not to strip uh, homeowners uh, and property owners, I should say, of, of their rights. Uh, when I went to school uh, to get my license, which was just before electricity, um, I can remember our uh, instructors giving us a bundle of rights acronym, Lugers. Uh, lease, use, give away, uh, exchange, rent, sell. These are rights or not to do any of these things. So, you know, folks have to be real careful about what their uh, people are recommending. And, and as I said, the government uh, federally, uh, the stress test uh, has been a total disaster. And when I asked the MP about that, they said, you know what, it's not our job, it's not legislation, it's policy out of the Bank of Canada. So somewhere, somebody's got to put pressure on these folks <clears throat> to get in the game and, and, be, and be realistic, or this is going to get worse.
0: Well, and I want to just finish off by kind of coming kind of full circle to a, a, a thing that governments tried to get involved with. And I always say that, you know, one of the worst things you can hear is, is a politician knocking on you, sort of say, I'm here to fix your problems. Because uh, you don't, they don't quite think sometimes about the long-term ramifications of that. And one of those, of course, was the foreign buyer's tax. Uh, that the federal government jumped on board with, the provincial government jumped on board with. Uh, it was, if in fact it was even a problem at all, it might have been in Vancouver and Toronto, certainly not in other municipalities. But what this did, I think, is it, it probably scared an awful lot of people away. And uh, and, and, and basically, tr- they, they tried to slow the market down and all of, it had absolutely no positive impact at all. And they're still talking about that by, by as you say, taxing vacant properties. Uh, you know, there might be one or two derelict landlords who aren't doing something about this. But, do you you know, do you kill a flea with a sledgehammer?
3: Sure. Well, you, you brought up the point. of I think it was Ronald Reagan who said the nine most feared words in the English language. I'm from the government and I'm here to help you. He was wrong. It's actually 10 words. So but <laughs> the, the sentiment is actually is, is so true. And I, I think we've highlighted a few of the, a few of them but um, there's more that can be done. For example, uh, not that many years ago, CMHC uh, was offering 40-year amortizations on mortgages. Now the maximum is 25 years. I mean, how does that help? You know, the default rate is is next to nothing, even at these prices. So government has a, a huge role to play here by A, keeping out of it, and B, correcting some of the mistakes that they've done to date.
0: Well, listen to the people that are in the business, and uh, politicians don't always do that. Uh, Lou, thanks for spending some time with us again. Great to have you back on the program, and uh, certainly this is a problem that's not going away anytime soon, so uh, much more to come down the road. Have a good weekend. We'll talk again soon. Thanks. Take care. Lou Piriano, the president of the Realtors Association of Hamilton, Burlington.
2: You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: A lot of people use uh, dating websites these days. Uh, Well, and let's face it, you know, we all want companionship and this is a way that a lot of people have have moved toward and uh, nothing wrong with that as long as you pick the right one clearly Uh, and uh, that's a, a, a process in and of itself. But when you see something like this that all of a sudden does take off and becomes popular, uh, invariably, I guess there's always somebody who figures, hey, we can make a buck from this. And uh, sadly, it looks like organized crime has infiltrated online dating in a very sophisticated way. Uh, somebody who's done an awful lot of research into this uh, is uh, Carlo Handy Charles, who is a PhD candidate in sociology and geography with McMaster University and a research fellow at the uh, Convergence Migrations Institute uh, in Paris. Uh, Carlo, it's a pleasure to have you on the program. Thank you so much for the time today.
4: Hi, Bill. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to now, talk about the let's article. Let's
0: talk about <laughs> let's talk about the infiltration of dating sites uh, by organized crime. Now, my understanding is you were studying something else, and you kind of came across this.
4: Yes, that's correct. My research is about. Uh, the relationships that people um, maintain, gay people specifically maintain across international borders. So my research mainly focuses on, uh, for example, people who are migrants and people who are non-migrants who maintain transnational relationship over time. So then, yes, when I stumble over this, uh, because of all the news that came out specifically in January, and some people I knew personally who went through that. So, yes, I thought it was the perfect time to write an article about it and then to expand a little bit what yeah, uh, the, I the, believe. The, the, the piece yeah.
0: is, a, yeah, it's in theconversation.com. Uh, I'll give people the, the, the webpage they can go to in a second. Uh, but it, it was, so this is almost anecdotal, I guess, as you were doing research for this other project. I guess you started hearing about this and I, I guess like a, a, a light went on in your head saying, hey, what's going on here?
4: Yes, absolutely, because uh, when you hear that $14 billion were stolen in only one year because of this scam. And in Canada, nearly $100 million were reported to be stolen. And we're talking only about the you know, the people who actually reported it because there are so many people who went through it and they are too ashamed and embarrassed to talk about it and then to report it to, to the authorities. So I thought there was a story there. So I really wanted to delve into it and then to really understand how victims, they get hooked, and then how these criminal organizations, they work. And then I spent some time, probably two weeks, <laughs> researching on that extensively, and I wrote the piece for the conversation.
0: Were you shocked by what you found?
4: Yes, absolutely. It is incredible. And then it's, it's shocking, but at the same time, it is, uh, it is scary. It is really scary because you know, our lives uh, you know, are becoming more and more online specifically during the pandemic, the school system has become an online, a virtual school system. Even health uh, has become also uh, online. So so many aspects of our lives now are virtual. So, you know, it's so important, I think, because of that, that we be uh, aware, you know, we become aware of what's happening online and, you know, that we protect ourselves. So yeah, definitely I I was shocked. And one of the things I think that really shocked me Is because these people, they're not only one, you know, one small group working, uh, you know, uh, to scam people. They're a big organization of people who are connected to mafia, specifically in China, and they're operating in Southeast Asia. And when you understand all the energy, the resources, the money that they dedicate to Actually, train people to scam other people, you know, unsuspecting victims in North America, in Europe, and uh, in some richer country in Asia. You really understand that? Wow, this is a big news.
0: It, it, this is a confidence scam. Just for uh, I know people are, are going to want to read your your piece in the, in the conversation uh, when we're finished here. But th- there's a, they and these these criminals that are, are doing this. They invest a lot of time and money into this, don't they?
4: Absolutely, they invest a lot of time specifically because. Uh, the first thing that they do in order for this scam to work is to approach people on dating apps, right? For example, Tinder or Grindr or Henge or whatever dating app people are using. So they package themselves as professionals, as uh, you know, entrepreneurs, as people who are wealthy and successful. So then, and then obviously they use fake and stolen photos of mm-hmm. some people in Asia. To you know, to do this packaging, and then when people are interested in them, people start talking to them because they're like, "Oh yes, you know what? I have projects for the for the future. I'm doing, you know, I'm I'm working as a marketing director, for example, for a firm in Canada, and uh, you know, to make some extra income, um, I am, you know, investing in cryptocurrency, right? So that's how the conversation normally starts, according to what victims, uh, they have been saying, they have been writing about for the past uh, two years. So then that's the first stage and then the second stage of it is they really get you hooked into a conversation it, into a relationship that is supposed to be a virtual relationship so every day and every night they're sending you ma- they're sending you messages They're talking to you about, you know, plans for the future, about plans to get married, plans to get, you know, to have kids together. And more importantly, they're talking to you about the idea of investing together as a couple. And when you invest together as a couple, you have the possibility to have a bright economic future, right? So then that's the second stage. And then the third stage is to get you to invest on this, uh, you know, cryptocurrency platform that they create. Those are fake cryptocurrency platforms that they just impersonate some big uh, cryptocurrency platform or whatever stock uh, markets, for example, the London Stock Exchange uh, in some cases or whatever other big markets are out there, they impersonate those and then they send you a link uh, and then the length that they send you, you're supposed to invest. But what most of these big sims, all the big sims they don't know about, is that the money that you use, your own money that you use to buy cryptos, and then when you buy these cryptocurrencies, you send that cryptocurrency to the length that they send you, you're sending that cryptocurrency directly to the wallet of the scammers. So then they set up this fake investment profile pretending that this investment profile is okay that you're making returns that if you're investing for example ten thousand dollars you're making probably three thousand dollars there's no risk at all everything is fine you know so then people get hooked and for so many reasons right we leave for example canada the housing market in Canada is a big problem. Some people may be yeah. investing in it because they think they're gonna make some return. To reinvest invest in their life in the future. So there's That's what reasons. I was. That's what I was
0: saying about about you know yeah. the, the investment in this. I think the phrase he used in the peach in the piece rather from uh, from law enforcement officials was the uh, shazupan, which is pig butchering. In other words, they they're taking so much time and 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 you know carrying this out in such a a step by step manner that they're basically getting you ready for the slaughter. I mean you you buy into it. You buy into it. Hey, there's somebody who's real nice that that seems to be interested in me and you develop a yeah. relationship and and the timing was perfect for this wasn't it carlo because because of covid over the last two years uh, we're locked in our houses for this for, and you can't travel you can't go and. so this is all being done online and, and no, nobody even gave that a second thought because everybody else was online these days
4: That's correct. That's correct. Uh, You know, all of that happened uh, since the COVID-19 pandemic started in 2020. And then it has increased because of COVID restrictions. A lot of them, they pretended that they cannot meet in person, even though when they uh, you know, match with the potential victims on dating app, they make sure to tell them that they live in the same city. For example, if they match with somebody in Hamilton, they gonna tell the person that they live in Hamilton. But because of COVID-19 pandemic uh, restrictions, they cannot meet in person right away or because they're waiting to get the booster shots, or because of so many other excuses that they invent to actually never meet in person. And obviously, as we're all going through the pandemic, we understand the fear that's behind it. We understand the uncertainty that some people may have in, you know, when it comes to meeting in person. So then a lot of the victims, they don't even think about it as being a scam. You think about you know, these people not wanting to meet with you, just because it's a pandemic. And then they tell you when the pandemic is over at some point, they will meet up with you, right? Except that they never meet up with you because... Yeah, they're they long gone by then, the aren't they? Exactly. And they, they were never going to do it because they don't live in Canada, <laughs> yeah. right? Or they don't live in the US. They don't live in any other countries where there's scamming people. They live, most of them, in uh, Malaysia, in, uh, you know, in Cambodia, in some southeastern uh, South countries in, uh, in, uh, in Asia. So it, um, yeah, it, it is definitely the perfect time. But also, I think one other factor that we should consider is the fact that cryptocurrency has become such a big deal recently, right? Uh, in 2000, since, you know, since 2019, uh, cryptocurrency, we have heard about cryptocurrency, uh, you know, in so many ways, like in the, you know, the Super Bowl, for example, when there are any big advertisements, I, I've seen some, um, some, some advertisements of cryptocurrency made by Cal uh, Lowy, you know, from the Toronto Raptors. So yeah. it is something that so many other people, so many people now, they are getting interested in, but there's not enough information or there's not enough education about cryptocurrency. So that's the reason these cameras, they're able to steal so much money from people because they're able to just you know use the fact that people don't necessarily know that world very well. They don't know that the money that they're sending, they're sending it to somebody's wallet instead of exchanging it uh, or sell it and uh, selling it uh, you know on the platform. So they don't know. So I think it's definitely the pandemic. It's definitely isolation, but it's definitely the lack of education on cryptocurrency.
0: Yeah, I, I just want to remind our listeners too, and, and in no way are you insinuating that every dating site is is like this. So, you know, there are some legitimate dating sites that are, you know do business, and I know people that have met on dating sites and been, you know be, develop a relationship. Some of them are married. The, the people they meet, that's, and those are wonderful stories. But this is really kind of a buyer beware situation, I would think, isn't it, Carla?
4: Yes, absolutely. Um it it it's not to say to people don't go on dating sites and, you know, don't meet up anybody on dating sites. I mean, I think the message is to tell people, specifically people who may be vulnerable to this kind of scams to be very careful when you are chatting with somebody. If you're chatting with somebody and the person is making up excuses to never meet in person, that's a red flag. If you're chatting up with somebody and the second day of the chat, the person is telling you to invest in cryptocurrency with them, that's definitely the, the moment you block them immediately, right? Because uh, because it's going to be a scam. So I think it's about being more careful about these things uh, than anything else. As you said, there's so many people who met up on dating And then they're married, they have a wonderful uh, family together, you know, and then so all of that is really important. But I think it's the information, the message is to tell people, okay, yes, there are a lot of scammers. All of these attractive profiles that you see, they may be scammers, right? Scammers working for crime gangs uh, somewhere in Asia to actually steal your money they will be very nice to you the first you know the first days of chatting they will pretend to be your dream partner right they will pretend to be uh, the person you have been waiting for your entire life in terms of you know the person that you want to marry the person you want to spend your life with and then as long like, as they prepare you they basically fatten you up as a pig right and they slaughter you right so and, and, and it's, it's amazing how they do this
0: we were, we were talking earlier about how they they invest so much time i know i know you talked to the the global anti scam organization uh who've done some research into this and i guess they're the ones who hear an awful lot of the stories the sad endings to these uh and and you know the, the, this this organized crime they even hire people that will actually you know look at your personality and develop you a, a personal profile of you based on the information uh that the scammer is getting from you you know very innocently you're giving them info, and they're not asking for banking information you know because that's mm-hmm. what a lot of the scams are so well they never asked me yes. for that but they're developing yes. a profile, and then they know how to to get your your weak points in the profile. It's 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 really, uh, you know, it's it's a, a long process, and it, and it's terrible what they're doing here. But you just have to be cognizant of this and be aware of this, uh, and and understand that you know th- th- there's a hit going on here. As soon as they start talking about investing, a red flags should go up. I guess that's one of the takeaways here, isn't
1: it?
4: Absolutely, that's one of the takeaway. And in terms of what you said about. Uh, you know, manipulation and uh, psychological profile, yes, they hire people who can do this type of work for them, right? They hire these people on the false pretenses because those are people who are, these organizations, they're also involved in human trafficking and in all types of crimes. So they know exactly what they're doing. So then they hire, uh, you know, experts, people who are professional people who know how to use your information against you. So this is called social engineering. So basically they use all your information that you have on social media things that you have you may have posted in the past about whatever big events that you have been through whatever for example if you have a disease if you have something so they use all of this information that they have collected against you to make you believe that they love you and then they're this you know they're basically the savior that you have been waiting for right so, and so when you'll let, get to you'll,
0: the, yeah you let your guard down then don't you
4: absolutely you do because at some point uh for some for some of, of those victims who talked about it uh there was a video that i uh, a lack of, of to a video that i put in the article and then people can watch the video this is a girl in Toronto who uh got scammed and then she explained the entire process and then yes and then at some point she said uh you know she was sending money sending money without even thinking too much about how much she was sending because of so much gaslighting that they you know they basically uh, you know, use to to make you send money, and also these relationships they can become abusive, right? Because we're talking about, you know, you know, saying nice things to people, but in order for them to make you invest more money, some of these cases have involved uh, sextortion, right? So they they have whatever video, like naked video, that you sent to them, or whatever naked photo that you sent to them, in order for them to make you send more money uh, to the scam. So they can use these videos and these photos against you to tell you, if you don't keep investing, I'm just going to share these photos and these videos, these compromised, amazing photos and videos, with your friends, with your families, with your colleagues. So then you keep investing, right? Because you're afraid of what other people may think so it, it is like, really serious and one one very, of the aspects of the article that i talked about is you know the necessity for people in canada for the for governments in canada to think yeah, i was going to ask you about
0: that we've only got about a minute and yeah. a half two minutes left here uh the mm-hmm. uk is fashioning legislation to try to deal with this uh not so much in canada right now so this is really kind of a call to action isn't it
4: Yes, yes. It's definitely a call of a call of action because the virtual world has become so much more integrated into our lives. So because of that, I think it's important that governments step up, right? And then to create something similar to what uh, people in the UK, they just propose. It's not a policy yet. It's not a law yet, but it is a bill. So if, uh, you know, an online safety bill that is, uh, you know, that aims to protect people against fraud, because today is this big butchering thing. So... N- <coughs> But, uh, sorry, next year it may be something else, right? Yeah,
0: exactly. They're simply using resources, and like I say, once once they have information, I mean, you know, the the old scammers, I guess that would just eventually, you know, try to get your bank account. Hey, this is uh, such and such a bank. Uh, there's a problem with your account. Give me your Visa number or give me your bank account number. That's 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 still happening. Sadly, we've heard those stories, uh, but that's kind of passe. These guys are are, are moving on to a different. their are understanding. Uh, that this is a virtual world right now and they're using cryptocurrency and they're using virtual relationships uh, to do this. And uh, it's uh, it's 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 working, I guess, because in many cases it's believable. And, you know, you mentioned a number at the beginning here, uh, victims defrauded of about $14 billion uh, in 2021. That's probably an underestimate because, as you mentioned, a lot of people get scammed and they don't even go to the authorities because they're too embarrassed.
4: Exactly. Yes, exactly. Most people, I would say, they don't because, you know, I think for so many people who are invested in these relationships, because one thing that we need to know, Bill, is that these people, they believe that they are in real relationships with these scammers, right? They really believe that they're building something together with these people. And it's not only because these people, they're vulnerable. It's because these scammers, they really know what they're doing. They really know how to manipulate people psychologically speaking. They really know how to use people's information against them and how to make them believe that the relationship is real. So then for so many of these people, um, it is not only finding out that they were scammed, but it's also the fallout of the emotional relationship that they were invested in. So then they have to deal with after they they realize that it was a scam. You know, so a lot of them they go through intense, you know, uh, periods of depression, of uh, PTSD, of anger. And then a lot of them, and I read some of these stories of the victims, and then some of them, they were saying a year or even two years after finding out that they were in this virtual relationship that ended up being a scam, they could not still recover emotionally from being in that relationship. So I think all of that is taking such a toll on people, on their psyche, on the way that you know they were living before. Because after such a big event in your life, for example, there was a, a woman who lost... 2.5 million dollars invested, you know, all her life saving. And she's a lawyer, she's somebody who is knowledgeable, who is, you know, tech savvy. She knew yeah. so much already about the world, but again, she was still, you know, able to fall. Taken in, you know, taken in. Yeah.
0: We're just about it out is, of time. It is. It, it, it is. The, the, go to the conversation.com, go to the webpage uh, and and look this up. It's uh, a fascinating story. And I know you've done an awful lot of research into that. Uh, Thanks so much for spending some time with us this morning, Carlo. I hope we've raised people's awareness about this anyway. And and I can say right at the beginning of the conversation, we'll go right back and finish with that same phrase, buyer beware, just do your work and and be skeptical and be wary of uh, of people, as you say, that want to be your friend, but don't really want to meet you. It could come to a bad ending. Thanks so much again, Carlo, and uh, continue good luck with your uh, work and your PhD work.
4: Thank you very much, Bill, for having me. And, good talking uh, with you. I hope I share Carlo, some good news with people.
0: Well, we will, hopefully somewhere down the line. Uh, Carlo Handy Charles, a PhD candidate at McMaster University and also a fellow at the uh, Convergence Migrations Institute in Paris.
2: You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. There's also
0: a municipal election uh, in this year, and that's, by the way, for municipalities right across the province of Ontario and in other parts of the country. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that rolls out, too. Now, that's not going to be until October, so we'll already know uh, what kind of a a provincial government we're going to have here in this province. Uh, Municipal governments, uh, that could be a different story, uh, both in in Burlington and in Hamilton, of course, uh, incumbents and uh, some newcomers. Uh, Now, nobody's registered as of yet. Uh, because that can't happen until uh, sometime in April, first week of April, I believe it is. Uh, but some people have expressed some interest in uh, in the mayor's job, and the top job, and I'm sure it's going to happen in Burlington as we get closer to that day, too. Uh, and the incumbent mayor in Hamilton, Fred Eisenberger, uh, and the incumbent mayor in, in Burlington, Mary Mead Ward, I don't believe have actually even uh, confirmed that they are going to be running for re-election, although we anticipate that they probably will be. So who are the uh, the, the pretenders to that job? Well, one of them is uh, the now former uh, chairman and president and CEO of the Hamilton Chamber of Commerce, uh, Keenan Loomis. He wrote an op-ed piece uh, that was published in the paper over the weekend uh, that talked about uh, well some of the uh, accomplishments I guess during his time at the chamber and uh, maybe a little bit of visioning going forward too? Uh, we bring Keenan Lewis back onto the Bill Kelly Show to talk about this. Uh, Keenan, thank you for the time. Good to have you
2: with us again. Thanks, Bill. Good morning. Yeah, the op-ed uh, comes out tomorrow actually. Oh, is it tomorrow?
0: Okay, I yes. there's no date on this. I just got the raw copy. Uh, so, is, this is a time for reflection for you, I guess, and pivotal times in our lives and in our careers. I guess that's that's pretty much far for the course, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it is. I mean, this is uh, my last day at the Chamber. I'm, I'm sitting in my office that has been my home for the last almost nine years, and I uh, got the boxes all packed up, and I'm ready to go. And as Where you know, when them. you... Uh, when you when you when you uh, go through all of uh, the memories that uh, have collected on your desk, there's uh, you get bogged down because you start to <laughs> look through a whole lot of stuff, and you know you have a lot of emotions up and down as well. So it, it, it has been one of those roller coaster weeks for sure.
0: Well, as you uh, people can read this in the Spectator tomorrow, but uh, you know, as as you do some reflection about that, uh, I remember the you and I have known each other for a long, long time, and our first uh, I guess uh, meeting was was when you were working uh, not as a a member of the Chamber of Commerce at all, but of course with the Innovation Factory uh, and McMaster Innovation Park uh, on Longwood Road there uh, Mm -hmm. in the old Camco plant. That was a challenging job for you. Uh, and and uh, you worked very, very hard with the staff there uh, to try to get that project off the ground. Uh, then, of course, the job came up with the Chamber of Commerce. And, and I remember asking you at the time, uh, why would you be interested in that? I mean, you had a, a pretty successful job and a pretty successful career uh, going there, but uh, you jumped over to the Chamber. What was the motivation for that?
2: Yeah, well, the the challenge with the Innovation Factory was that it was a startup, um, so we were building an organization out of scratch. Um, the challenge with the chamber is that it was 165 years old at that time, um, and so obviously it had a great deal of history. Um, uh, but it, it was the chamber was in dire straits uh, at that time, um, and they were so desperate that they they hired me <laughs> to see if uh, I could turn it around. And you know, the the good uh, thing about the Innovation Factory it was pretty much the same size as the Chamber. So in in going through that exercise of standing up an organization and, you know, being able to really make it a 21st century organization because it is, um, you know, I I was able to kind of uh, do that all over again within the Chamber of Commerce. And there were a number of vacancies at that time because, again, it was uh, in dire straits. And um, so I thought, you know, yeah, it's going to be a challenge, but it's a really incredible opportunity as well. Um, to hire new people and I was given uh, by my board uh, because again they were a little desperate um, basically carte blanche in terms of uh, what I wanted to do and, and where I wanted to take this organization and our, our visions aligned you know it was I want to make this a relevant 21st century uh, you know uh Chamber or organization, um, and uh, it you know so I, I I took the the challenge and I, I leapt at it because I, I you know I was able to to be provide more leadership here in this community than at Innovation Factory because there we were you know helping uh, startups uh, get going and innovative companies get going obviously the chamber here is far more involved in in economic development and um, and and leadership within the community and. Um, i i if i did anything right it was uh surround myself with really great talented people who have made me look uh really amazing over the last nine years and i think we accomplished everything we set out to accomplish and i look back now and you know we've got a great balance sheet um at one of the first meetings i had with our auditors what they said you know we might have to express the the fact that we don't know if the chamber can be an ongoing concern anymore. So that was, you know, a wake-up call. But um, made some really great investments in talent and and really changed the the image of this organization. Broadened our stakeholder group. Um, you know, we we worked with every organization in town. It doesn't matter if they're you know uh, directly involved in uh, you know the economy here uh, in. In Hamilton, because really everybody has a a, a stake in the Hamilton economy. Um, everybody who works here and, and lives here, and so we brought in that out, and you know, obviously, um, in doing that, and forming all those partnerships, you're able to be or, or act or look a lot bigger uh, and be a lot more impactful than you know the 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 reality, which is that this is a $1.5 million, you know, not for profit. Um so it uh it, in in the the best part about that is that it did not take any convincing at all. Uh the community was was thirsting for that. So they were providing us with support all along and um you know now i i look back and the the people that i've been able to work with the organizations that i've been able to work with um it's just incredible and uh we have accomplished a lot over the last 9 years
0: okay but uh, let me connect the dots here or, yeah uh, sure because it, it, we already know that you've expressed an interest in, in running for mayor nobody's registered yet so we yeah. don't even know if-, if may second by the way is the through. registration date yeah. yeah. So, so here's the thing, yeah. as I was reading over what's going to be published tomorrow, uh, and there's a list, and we can talk about some of these things, because I, th- I think the, the, to- those topics can be transferred over to uh, Keenan sure. Loomis, the, the, you know, the potential politician here, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the first line that jumped out at me here uh, is, uh, I brought incredible talent into the chamber, both on staff and sitting around the board table. Uh, and and I, 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 no argument there. Uh, but if you want to be the mayor of Hamilton, uh, you don't get to pick your staff, or your staff, but you don't get to pick who you work with. Uh, no. It's like family, Keenan. You don't get to yeah. pick family, <laughs> uh, you're, 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 and you're not going to you're not gonna be able to pick the people that sit around the council table either. So they are not going to be like minded people. There might be a few if you're lucky, uh, and if you're you know, the mayor, you might have a, a majority of them that think like you. But that's not always the case. So how does a, a mayor, Keenan Loomis? Deal with that, which is uh, not just a a hypothetical, because most mayors in every municipality across this province and across this country have to deal with that potential problem. Is Mm -hmm. that you know you're not going to get everybody going? Yeah, we're all on the same team. We're all thinking the same way. They don't.
2: Yeah, well, I've I've been in many uh, rooms and and in many situations and uh, with in many um, uh, many capacities uh, with people that I. Did not choose. You know, you, you think about the anchor institutions. You think about. Um, I didn't choose our membership. You know, the membership existed at the chamber. You don't choose who's the head of McMaster. You don't choose who's the head of HHS or Mohawk or, you know, the city, um, or really, you know, we've been working with uh, council all along. Many of the the ones who are who are willing to 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 understand that we're all actually uh, working towards the same thing, which is the betterment of this community. And, and really, all I've done is is all of those people in this community, and again, there's a huge number, so many passionate people here in Hamilton who are invested in this community and want to see change and want to see a, a better community, want to see it progress, They've all come on board, and that's exactly what you know we'll do as uh, but the, I will but do. I, if, I get that. that, and everybody's too.
0: gonna everybody who's gonna sit around that table is is going to say the same thing i want what's best for hamilton but they're going to have different visions and different ways to want to get there yeah and and you're going to have to vote on this stuff i mean you know it's it's not just okay i want to work in partnership with the the university or the college or the innovation factory for that matter uh it's it's a different circumstance i mean i i I know all the former mayors for going back well to, to bob morrow i guess the late bob morrow uh, you age a lot in this job uh, simply because of the stress that's involved in this. Uh, and because it's it's not a nine to five job and because you are going to meet sometimes on city council, as you know, Keenan, from your time here, not just people who disagree with you, but contrarians who are going to try basically saying, I'm not going to let this guy get his way or that way. And it, and it can be a very, very frustrating circumstance right now. Are you ready for that?
2: I completely understand that, Bill. First and foremost, there is going to be change. At, uh, at City Hall this year uh, because that's exactly what the people are demanding. So I think some of those impediments um, will be out of well, the way. I, listen, I'm going to challenge
0: you on that too. Uh, I've read some of the social media posts of the people that are demanding change and get rid of all the incumbents, yada, yada, yada. Uh, yet we also know that 90% of the time incumbents get reelected, not just in Hamilton, but in every council. Those are voices, but we still don't know if those are the majority of voices. I, I will submit to this. You're right that there will be some change because uh there are a couple of councils have already said they're not going to run for re-election uh so that that's maybe one or two new faces but you can't guarantee that there's going to be the wholesale change that some people predict
2: well uh, i will be running on change and if the voters agree uh they will put me in the uh in the mayor's office with that mandate and then we start from there and we start with with mutual respect we start with transparency um and and we try to find uh a, a plurality of, of people sitting around that board table because that's what it is a board table of uh, the corporation of the city of Hamilton and we work to get things done uh, respectfully I don't think it's you know I, I think again there's there's going to be a great opportunity to reset a great opportunity to uh, uh, bring in a new culture refreshing culture in uh, in the city hall that will give us the the room to be able to accomplish that um, and you know, I, that's a, a number of months from now, we've got a, I've got a, a very, uh, uh, scrutinizing job interview to go through, uh, over the course of that time. And, oh, yeah. um, you know, it, we'll, 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 we'll get there. I, I want to have that problem, Bill, and that challenge. And so, you know, we'll work on that, but, uh, a lot of what's that's, that's done. Okay. Let's talk about the election.
0: Yeah, let's talk about the election process, too, because that's a, a rather daunting thing. And I, I, I'm not by any stretch, by the way, indicating that you're going into this naively. You've been around, you've, you've played the game with the politicians and with the upper levels of government, and you'll understand those relationships. Uh, but this is a different animal. I mean, now you're asking you know, a city of 550,000 people. To vote for you uh, for this particular office, it's you know I I know you've been through a lot of job interviews, but this is probably the biggest one because uh, if they don't like you uh, or if they don't know you, uh, they're not going to give you that support. And you know the votes count. I mean, there's been a lot of contenders and pretenders to this job over the years that mm-hmm. thought they had this thing hooked and found that uh, they did, they just didn't. How do you run a campaign like this? And I'm going to put this in the in the context of one of the issues you that's talked about in your op-ed piece, and that's LRT. Uh, and I know that, you know, the council's committed to this, the federal and provincial governments are committed to this. We get that. It's still a very contentious issue in this community, as you well know. And you're going to, if you do knock on doors, you're going to knock on a lot of doors that say, you know what, you were wrong and I'm ticked off at you for even doing this. Uh, it, it's, in other words, this is this is not going to be the one happy family situation. And you know there are some people that haven't given up on this in certain mm-hmm. parts of the city. How do you bring these people together? You're, you're talking about building relationships and building a team. Uh, there are some people that are going to resist that.
2: Well so for example with LRT you know it, it's taken a number of years of uh, you know uh, speaking with individuals and, and with groups um, laying out the case uh, to convince people uh, to you know support the project and um, you know we have seen a, a significant change in, in support for this project over time and to the point where now I, I believe you know most everybody including those who are against the, the project, have, uh, you know, assume it's going forward and, and they don't want to rehash uh, this issue. I think, you know, we have, there has been a culture um, uh, issue within City Hall and people are fed up with it. And so, you know, the, the least we can do is try. And, and, you know, if again, if this is what the voters want and if they want, I, I understand this is going to be a challenge um, this year to be a politician. I'm not a politician. and I'm going to have to be. But I'm doing so under the assumption that people want something different, that, you know, we are done with politicians, people who are doing this just for themselves or just for power or just to maintain the status quo because it, it only benefits them. I, you know, again, I will get that mandate if this is what the people want. Um, and then we have the op- the opening and the opportunity to bring in uh, the the culture change that we need at City Hall.
0: I got one minute left. And I'm gonna throw uh, one thing at you, which I'm sure is gonna be part of your campaign plank. When you make your official announcement, uh, city council is gonna be dealing with the, uh, the issue of area rating with an upcoming report. It's been contentious since 2000 when the city of Hamilton was formed uh, through amalgamation. And uh, it was a contentious issue by the council at the time. Uh, Are you for it or against it? Do you want to see area rating washed out, or do you want to see it continue?
2: I want to see the blast network get built, which means that uh, transit, good, high quality, rapid transit will reach into every corner of this city. And when we do that, of, of course, the, the folks within those areas will need to pay for it, we will need to invest in So in other transit words, because no, no be area injured. rating.
0: I, I, you, you're making it a transit issue. I'm making it an issue for the people that get their tax bill, whether they use transit or not. If there's no area rating, you know people in Flamborough and Glenbrook and many other communities, including Ancaster, uh, are going to get hit with an increase. And they're not going to be happy about that
2: they're going to be making investments that are important to their communities and to the the city as a whole. Those investments will pay off in the end. Transit investments always do.
0: I look forward to, uh, to to the campaign. I don't even know who you're going to be running against at this stage. Uh, and I look forward to the debates. And hopefully, as we've done in past elections, we'll uh, try to get the candidates in for for some one-on-one discussions about this stuff, too. Uh, Keenan, thank you for the time. Uh, congratulations on uh, your semi-retirement, because you're uh, jumping right back into, you know, from the frying pan into the fire, some might suggest. Uh, and I look forward to our future discussions on this. But thanks for spending some time with us today.
2: Thanks, Bill. Really appreciate it.
0: Take care. Kenan Lewis, uh, leaving today for the Hamilton Chamber of Commerce, his last day
2: at the office there. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.
0: The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free